Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Well, it's good to be here again this Sunday. And I wonder if you would um, open up your Bibles with me today to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 15. And when you are there, if you would say amen. Amen. Now, today... Today, um, you know, I would like to take some time to look at this portion of scripture that is found in Luke's gospel and just consider some of the things which the Lord will, would say to us through his word. And so my aim and my intention is to look at the whole chapter, but to take it over a series of a couple of weeks. Um, so today what we're going to really do is just focus on Luke chapter 15, we're going to read from verse, verses 1 to 7, which says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, I would imagine that all of us are very, very familiar with this portion of scripture and the ones which follow as well. And I don't know if you're aware that this chapter is generally viewed as being three separate parables. So we have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then we have the prodigal son. But actually, this parable is one parable. One parable that moves in three stages. If you just take one segment of the parable, you get truth, but you don't get the whole truth. So if you just view it and you look at the story of the lost sheep, you get truth, but it's not the whole truth. It's not the total message of what is trying to be conveyed. And I say that it is one parable because this is exactly what the Lord says in verse 3 of, of chapter 15. He says, so he spoke this parable singular to them. And after that, as I said, the Lord proceeded to give the three stages. So in Luke chapter 15, what we actually have is this 
three-in-one scenario or one-in-three scenario, which, you know, if you're anything like me, I always find those scenarios very, very interesting within the Bible. You know, God, the Trinity is not mentioned in the Scriptures, but we know that God is one, but in three persons. Three persons, but one God. And it's beautiful. So, if you're a student of the Word, then, you know, you could delve into this portion of Scripture and just find more of the truths or the deeper truths what the Lord is trying to convey within this. But in the first movement of chapter 15, the central focus is on the man or the shepherd. And it describes the work of God, the Son, the good shepherd, leaving a place of safety and security and seeking that lost sheep that had gone astray. And why did he do this? He did this because he loved and cared for the sheep and wanted the sheep to be safe and protected. This first movement speaks so profoundly of Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, which says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we have this first movement, and that's what we're going to be concentrating on today. But in the second movement, the central focus is on the woman. And with this, the Lord was purposely describing the activity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often pictured within the scriptures as being of a tenderly, tender, motherly figure. We see in Genesis chapter 1 how the Spirit was hovering and brooding over the face of the deep. We see in the Old Testament how it is is God the Spirit who carries Israel as a child through the Exodus. And then we see in the New Testament how it is the Spirit who comes down in the form of a dove at the Lord's baptism. So we see this tender, motherly, affectionate aspect of the Holy Spirit. And this is portrayed um, as the Lord uses the description of the woman. And then in the third movement, the central focus, if you're following, is not what we all know the chapter to be about, the prodigal son. It's all about the prodigal son who went wayward and gave his life over to a life of decadence. But the central focus is actually on the father, the loving father who longed and waited for his son to return. The loving father who would not stand in the way of the son who said, give me all that belongs to me and let me go off. The loving father who said, okay, You're my son and I love you. And if if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. But within that, as I said, he waited patiently, longing for his son to return. So as we look at Luke chapter 15 as a whole, as a complete picture, what we are actually seeing is a unique picture and description that the Lord conveyed about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit as being the central figures 
Now, the major theme of the parable is the grace of God. And who knows that we all need God's grace? We all need God's grace. And the Lord Jesus revealed this through repeated phrases. And the repeated phrase he uses in the three movements. And that is of seeking, finding that which was lost. And then we have the ultimate picture of rejoicing when that which was lost has been found. And just to let you know that within the scriptures, when we have phrases or words which are repeated, it's a clue. The author is trying to say, are you getting the picture? I'm repeating this word for a reason. I'm repeating this phrase for a reason because I'm trying to convey a message to you. And so we should always be aware when we're reading the scriptures of repeated words. Now, before we actually get into this first portion, this first, first movement, the backdrop to Luke chapter 15 is obviously chapter 14. And this is where Jesus had been invited to a Sabbath meal by a particular Pharisee. And the Pharisee invited all his friends who were other Pharisees. And chapter 14 describes how the Pharisee invited Jesus to this Sabbath meal, but he and they had an ulterior motive. Their motive was to catch Jesus out. Their motive was to find fault with the Lord. And they did this by placing a man who was sick with dropsy right in the presence of the Lord at the mill. And they were basically saying, well, are you going to heal him on a Sabbath day? And so, because Jesus was a scary guy to be around, because he knew their thoughts, he answered them with an action, and he healed the man with dropsy. And after he healed the man with dropsy, he addressed each group that was present at that meal. He addressed the group as a whole, and he showed them that they would all do a good deed on a Sabbath day if it would in fact benefit them. Verse 5 of chapter 14 says, He answered him saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately... Not wait for the next day when the Sabbath was passed. Immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. And the next verse goes on to say, and they could not answer him regarding these things. Well, why could you answer him regarding these things? 
because there was an answer. They knew it was true. So what he was really saying was, what, you're going to judge me for doing a good thing for this guy with dropsy on a Sabbath day? You can't because you'd be hypocritical. So he addressed the, the group as a whole. He addressed the guest as he, all the guests, as he noticed how they jockeyed for the best positions. And again, he said, you know, when you go to a dinner, when you go to a meal, you know, take that lower place. Because if you take a place which is not right for you, and somebody says, excuse me, you shouldn't be sitting there, go and take a look, you're going to be embarrassed. It's going to be shameful for you. So look, take the lower place so that if, if somebody says, you know what, you shouldn't be sitting there, come up higher, then you will be glorified. Pharisee who thought he was being fed, who thought he was being spiritual because he asked the question about, hey, what do you do to eat bread for the hungry? Thinking he was being spiritual, but he had a wrong concept of what destiny, of what eternity was all about. Because he didn't have relationship with the Father. And then, basically, if you can picture it, gathering crowd were not invited to the meal but they could probably hear exactly what Jesus was saying they were thinking yeah Jesus you tell them yeah you show them Jesus so he turned to them and says to them basically wow you guys better be careful because if you want to be my disciple there's a cost there's a heavy cost because you have to deny yourself pick up your cross and then you So no one on this Sabbath day was excused. Everyone after this point knew what the true cost of following Jesus was all about. Can you fill up your cross and come follow me? Because there's a cost to it. And then Jesus ends chapter 14 with this statement. He who has an ear, let him hear statement who else could ever utter such words he who has an ear let him hear powerful and so it's to this background that we jump into chapter 15 now and then it says then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, after the Lord's address of chapter 14, four separate groups respond to the Lord's statement of, he who hasn't here, let him hear. And they come to him. But within this, these four groups, 
you know, it is clearly divided into two separate groups, two separate categories. Two groups, the tax collectors and sinners, well, verse 1 says they came because they desired to know more about this denying yourself business. That's why they came. That was their motivation. They wanted to know, well, exactly what does this picking up your cross and following me mean, Jesus? So they came to hear from him and to receive from him. Whereas the other two groups, the Pharisees and the scribes, they came to watch and to find fault. And they did this to the point that they were so disgusted at what they saw that they complained. Now, the reason why they complained was because tax collectors and sinners were considered as the lowest of the low. Tax collectors because they were Jews. Jews who worked with the Romans. Jews who exploited their own people. Jews who just live a life of total decadence. And the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with them. But not just the Pharisees, wanted, other Jews wanted nothing to do with them. And sinners, because they were considered by the Pharisees to be totally unclean. Remember, the Pharisees were all about ceremony. And the sinners were ceremonially unclean, and they were physically unclean as well. So the Pharisees were like, you know what? We don't want anything to do with this bunch. Keep them away. So for the Pharisees, <laughs> those who Jesus received and associated with was a problem. And added to this, How he received these groups was an either, even bigger problem because Jesus shared food with them. Now you may be thinking, Jesus shared food with them, so what? But this is where we have to take our Western hats off and put on our Eastern hats because the Bible is written to an Eastern culture, within the context of an Eastern culture. We have to try and think how they thought. Otherwise, we miss the bigger picture. And in Eastern culture, if you shared a meal with someone, you were in fact stating that you affirmed them. You accepted them. And this view of sharing food and eating with someone was so ingrained within Eastern culture that covenants could easily be established over the sharing of a meal. Some even believed that while sharing a meal, something mystical happened because the two parties were sharing the same ingredients. So you cooked a meal and you're sharing it and I'm sharing it and it's like we're partaking of the same meal. So we're becoming one through the, through the same ingredients. That's how far the thought process went. 
So the Pharisees, looking at Jesus sharing food with these groups, were enraged. And they complained that, Jesus, you're associating yourself with these people. Jesus, you're eating with these people. It freaked them out. And so the Lord, again, a scary brother to be around, (laughs) looked at the situation and just thought, you guys really don't have a clue about God. You really don't have an understanding of what my purpose here on the earth is all about. And so he shares this parable, one parable moving in three movements, to convey to the Pharisees that their concept of God was all wrong and to show the crowd that this is the true nature of God. If you want a complete understanding of God, here it is. So verse 3 says, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? The Lord opened the parable by saying, what man of you? And this is important because we'll go on to say that what woman will be the next movement. What man of you? Because he's addressing every male within his presence. Guys, you're not getting away from it. What man of you? And what Jesus did was he chose a category which they were all familiar with. They all knew about sheep. Not like us today in the West. We don't know anything about sheep. They all knew about sheep. So Jesus spoke about sheep. And we see how 99 of those sheep were safe. Protected cared for but there's one that was lost one lost sheep and now it is generally believed as you study this this portion of scripture that the sheep was lost because of foolishness as we know sheep are not the brightest of animals And they have a tendency to easily go astray. Easily go astray. Can I get a witness? Isaiah 53. What is Isaiah 53? All we like... That wasn't wasn't convicting enough. All we like have gone... We have all turned each one to his own way. We're all like sheep, man, 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 going astray. The sheep was lost. And so the sheep, if we can picture it, was lost. It was out of contact with the shepherd. It was out of fellowship with the flock. It was lost. 
But within this movement of what the Lord is describing here, let's notice how it is the man that took responsibility, personal responsibility, for the loss of the sheep. He wasn't responsible for it. He, I mean, if you can take care of 99, you're doing a pretty good job. But this one decides to go astray. And this, it says in, in verse 4, if he loses one of them. And I find that interesting. He loses one of them. Okay. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness and goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. So the sheep had wandered off, but the shepherd took the responsibility. And the shepherd will keep searching for that lost sheep until he found it. And within this, Jesus was explaining his actions to the Pharisees and to the scribes present. He was describing that you may not be able to see it, but I'm the good shepherd. And I will continue to search and to seek for lost sheep because that is my purpose on the earth. Even when you, old Pharisees and scribes, think that this sheep over here is not worth pursuing, not worth caring for, do you know what? <laughs> I care for them. And that is beautiful because there's often times when, it, maybe even with our family members, we're praying for our family members and they don't want to know anything about Jesus. You say, come to church. No, I can't be bothered. And it's like you're praying for them, you're interceding for them, and then years go by and you just think, you know what, forget about it. Forget about it. I'm not going to pursue you anymore. We have, as individuals, as people, we have that cut-off point. But the Lord Jesus is saying, I don't have that cut-off point. You know, the, the girls sung today that, you know, Lord, your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. We, we, we may pretend to be long-suffering, but you really are long-suffering. The Lord Jesus never gives up. And he was trying to communicate this to the Pharisees. He was communicating this to the, the people who had gathered around him to hear him and to receive from him. Now, as a bit of a side note, we may look at this portion of scripture and say, well, wasn't it irresponsible of the shepherd to leave 99 just to go and look for one? That just doesn't even make sense. But again, looking at this within Eastern culture, the fact is that shepherds generally brought their flocks together by night. You know, we get a picture of this at the Lord's birth. You know, while shepherds watched their flock by night, they came together. Okay? So what the, Lord actually, what, what, what the Lord is describing is that this shepherd wasn't being irresponsible. He's being very responsible. He would bring his sheep into the care of another shepherd to watch and look after his sheep while he went and sought after the one. And 
Another interesting point on this is that when shepherds gathered their flocks by night, you know, obviously, you got loads, hundreds of sheep running around together. It's like, well, and then you could ask, well, what's your sheep and what's my sheep and is that yours and is that yours? And you could think, well, it could be very confusing. How would it happen? How would they sort out their sheep the next morning? And the beautiful thing is that shepherds had a very distinctive sound which they would make or they had a very distinctive song which they would sing. And as the morning approached and they started to make their sound or sing their song, the sheep would instinctively follow their own shepherd. And that is beautiful because Jesus says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice and another they will not follow. That is beautiful. And the question could be today, (laughs) are you hearing the shepherd's voice? Are you following the shepherd? Or are you following another? But continuing, we are at verse 5. It says, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When the shepherd found the sheep, he put the sheep in a place of care that was close to him. On his shoulders, around his neck, carrying the sheep back to a place of safety and fellowship. And again, if we look a bit closer at this, at this verse, and it's my own personal opinion, that I believe that through this movement, Jesus was describing to the Pharisees and to the crowd exactly what he would do for lost humanity at Calvary. Oh, Pharisees and scribes, I've come to search and to save the lost. And not only that, I will take the burden of the lost and put it around my shoulders. I will carry them on my shoulders. I will carry the burden of lost sinners to Calvary. And I will stretch out my hands to receive whosoever will at Calvary. I see that very plainly there. And as Jesus uses these words, because I don't think Jesus used words lightly. You know, he says that the attitude of the shepherd when he's found that lost sheep and places it around his shoulders and everything, is rejoicing. Rejoicing. Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus looked at the cost of Calvary, but he rejoiced 
He had joy to see what it would achieve. Now, to just camp here a bit longer. If there was a situation where a particular sheep habitually wandered away, then a shepherd would take that sheep through a process. If a sheep would always wander away and get lost, then the shepherd would take that sheep and break its leg. And then he would reset the leg in a splint. Then during the time of that sheep's recovery, the shepherd would carry the sheep on his shoulders everywhere that he went. So that after the sheep's full recovery, that sheep would have grown so attached to the shepherd, so committed to the shepherd that it would never ever wander away again. It was a painful process, but one that generally bore a profitable end. And an example of this can be found in the life of King David. David learned this lesson firsthand. Because we know that David committed adultery. David committed murder. David was broken. And when it all came to light and he, he was found out by the prophet Nathan, David wrote Psalm 51. And I don't know if you've read Psalm 51 in a long time, but part of Psalm 51 says, I'll, I'll just read a couple of verses before. It says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. It says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And this is the verse. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. David understood this process of, David, I'm going to break you because you, ooh, I need to draw you closer to myself. Verse 9 goes on to say, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous, generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. The process drew David closer to the Lord, but it also, also gave him a living example which he could teach others. He could look around and say, do you know what? You don't want to go this way. Let me teach you the ways you should be, go you should be going. Learn 
through instruction. Don't learn through experience in that sense. So we have this picture here that God will not allow his sheep to continually and habitually wander off. Again, Hebrews 12. He chastises those he loves. It doesn't feel good when he's chastising you, but he chastises those he loves because he won't leave us illegitimate. And so, verse 6 goes on to say, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. The shepherd and the sheep came home. The sheep had been restored back to where it should be, should have been all along. And the end result was rejoicing. The end result was that the shepherd said to his friends, come and rejoice with me. Others were able to come into the celebration. And within this whole portion, we see that the shepherd displayed care, compassion, and concern. The shepherd valued the one that was lost. He sought after the one that was lost. He cared for the one that was lost. He tenderly showed affection for the one that was lost. And then he encouraged others to share in his joy. And then Jesus rounded up this first movement by giving his hearers and his critics an insight into the heaven reality. The heavenly reality of exactly what happens when one sinner repents and gives their life to the Lord. Verse 7 says, and I say to you that likewise, does, does Jesus tell lies? He doesn't lie, does he? I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than, than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So Jesus is saying in the same manner, There is more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting and giving their life to the Lord. And Jesus was highlighting that this is exactly what the Father desires. Because God wants all people everywhere to turn away from sin and come into a relationship with him. And if you really think about it, people are being saved all the time. Every day someone's being saved. Which means that there's always rejoicing in heaven. There is always rejoicing in heaven. And Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
in God's presence is the fullness of joy. Beautiful. The fullness of joy over lost humanity coming into a saving and living relationship with the God of all things, the creator of the universe. And so, this first movement. And in closing, let's just have a final, some final considerations. I said before that the sheep was lost due to foolishness. And many of us have perhaps experienced sharing with others, speaking to others about the gospel, speaking to others about the Lord. And they give all kinds of reasons why they don't want to accept the Lord. And in so many ways, we can sum up all those reasons as being foolish reasons. Foolish reasons for not really valuing life because Jesus offers life. How can you not want to accept Jesus, who's the only one who can offer you life, eternal life? Everything else must be foolish. And so they offer foolish reasons why they don't accept Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe the scriptures. They say, where did, he, where did Cain get his wife from? Questions like that. I don't want to believe. But equally, we as God's children, we can allow our own foolish desires to come into the way of us really serving the Lord, following the Lord as we know we should be. As believers, we get caught up into stuff. And before we know it, we've gone astray. Before we know it, we've left the shepherd. Before we know it, we've left the fold. No longer in fellowship. And isn't it a comforting thing to know that Jesus doesn't give up on us? Because what we need in those times is a gracious shepherd who will never leave us nor forsake us, but he will seek after us to bring us back. And even if he has to chastise us within the process, he is good. Because he chastises those he loves. And when that chastening comes, you know, Hebrews 12 says that, ooh, no chastening seems good or, or joyful when, it, you know, when it's happening. But nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The chastening has a purpose, training us. And so we have the lost sheep. 
But more than this, we have the gracious shepherd. Again, Jesus trying to communicate, trying to picture to this crowd that, you know what, I'm prepared. I've, I've laid aside my majesty. I've come, I've, I've taken on the form of a man. I'm going to become obedient even to the point of death so that mankind, humanity, could be in right relationship with the Father. And so, from this first stage of the parable, we can only presume that the Pharisees would have been thinking, the Pharisees and the scribes would have been thinking, Jesus, you must be mad to think that God Almighty actually searches and seeks after lost sinners. No, God is like us. He likes the ceremony. He likes everything to be external. Jesus, you're crazy. That's how they would have been thinking. They wanted to look good, but their hearts were so, so far away from the Lord. And through this part of the movement, it is clear that they were not prepared to accept what the Lord had to say. And so, Jesus moves on to the second stage of the movement found in verse 8. And this stage of the parable we will look at next week. Amen. Let's, have, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God. Wow. You are good. You are the good shepherd. And we thank you, Lord, that you came and you came to seek and to save us, that we could be in right relationship with you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that if there is any here today who doesn't know you, Lord, but but you by your Holy Spirit, Lord, have been tugging at their hearts. You've been pulling them, Lord. You've been wooing them and and trying to draw them closer unto yourself lord i pray lord jesus that they will really take this opportunity lord to consider where they're at before you lord jesus and make a decision make a choice to come into your fold to no longer lord be that lost sheep gone astray turned to his or her own way lord but Lord, a desire, Lord, just to be called your son or your daughter.